my father was given less than four months to live. He lived eight years with this deadly brain cancer. Eight incredible years. The healthful foods that he was intaking and everything else that he was doing for himself was priming his immune system, that was giving his body every possible chance to win the fight. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Hot Springs, Arkansas, Round Rock, Texas, and San Luis, Brazil. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 92 of season 5, number 391 overall. Doctors had given Jimmy Blanco just four months to live. But Jimmy Blanco told doctors that he refused to die. Despite being diagnosed with one of the most aggressive forms of brain cancer, a glioblastoma, Jimmy would not waver in his quest to keep hope alive, to keep himself alive. And he did. For nearly 10 years, he did. Imagine that, given just four months and living for a decade. Now, this was all the way back in 1995 when access to information was not nearly as easy to come by. It meant countless trips to hear someone give a talk to just a tiny audience or infinite numbers of trips to the library and phone call after phone call after phone call, each made in an effort to gain a little bit more information and a little bit more hope for his fight. And oh, did he ever learn. He learned about the choices that many of us make every day that put us at higher risk for cancer and chronic disease. He learned that the food we eat is critical for our well-being. And what he also learned was to share what he had learned with the world. And so this blue-collar guy, Jimmy Blanco, starts chronicling his journey. He's writing a diary of sorts, putting on paper everything that he was discovering, everything that he was crediting for helping him live 24 times longer than what the doctors had given him. And that meant more time to be with his family and his young children, including his daughter Jamie, who was by his side nearly every step of the way. She joined him on these trips. These trips that were the quests for knowledge, all of the lectures and the libraries. And so years after his passing, Jamie came across his unfinished book. And she decided that she would finish this fight for her father. She would finish the book and update it with what we have learned since his passing, offer her thoughts, and give hope to the hopeless. And that is the name of the book, Hope for the Hopeless. And I am so glad that Jamie is here with us today to share this incredible story of perseverance and never giving up. Jamie, thank you so much for being here. 
Chuck, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm so honored to be on here and to uh, you know share my father's story. Um, I'm just incredibly grateful and happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, my pleasure. And in the interest of full disclosure, Jamie and I actually used to work together back in my news days. Uh, we were together at the same CBS News Radio affiliate in Washington, D.C. Um, so this one definitely hits close to home. And honestly, when we were working together, Jamie, I had no idea at all about your father's story. Did you talk about that much at all? I didn't. At, at that point in my life, um, I don't think I was really ready to to share that with a lot of people and i feel like in some ways i was still sort of in survival mode um but i always knew that my father had written this book uh about his journey and i it was always in the back of my mind and it was always on my heart to finish it and it just so happened that you know a few years after we worked together um when i moved up here to boston and i had both of my kids you know, i was finally at a point in my life where I could really sit down and, and tackle this project um, and, and bring his words to life. Well, let's go through the story uh, because man, it is a, a really, really, really powerful one. Um, he calls it uh, the world's deadliest brain tumor. What exactly was he diagnosed with? Sure. Um, so in 1995, my father was a seemingly healthy 36 year old um, healthcare worker. And um, he was diagnosed with a glioblastoma multiforme grade four. So this is the same brain tumor that took the lives of Ted Kennedy, Bo Biden, um, and, and a number of other high profile individuals who seemingly had access to the best that medicine had to offer, right? Um, and back then, uh, my father, again, you know, 36 years old, three young kids, uh, never been a sick, sick a day in his life, uh, was suddenly being told that he had less than four months to live to get his affairs in order and that there was nothing that he could do and that this, uh, you know, disease was going to claim his life. And anybody who knows my father, um, he was a very rough and tumble, uh, New Jersey street guy. You know, he was, he had a very big personality and he worked very hard and, and, um, he had singular focus. And when he was presented with this, essentially this death sentence, um, Chuck, instead of, you know, taking that and being like, you know, and letting it destroy him and, and accepting that this was the end he decided to prove the doctors wrong. They told him that he would be dead within a matter of weeks, you know, maybe a little bit longer if he did chemo and radiation. And unfortunately at the time, he had some doctors that had very poor bedside manners, right? Um, he asked to talk to other patients. He, he asked, you know, very prying questions about chemo and radiation and their, uh, their efficacy against this kind of brain tumor, against the glioblastoma. And, you know, the answer is it doesn't, it doesn't help, that it's not really going to save his life or extend his life. And instead of the doctors, you know, providing him with answers and guidance and letting him talk to other people, they told him, absolutely not. You can't talk to other patients, you know, and they got frustrated with him. And when, you know, when the doctors told him, no, you can't talk to other patients that have your, your diagnosis, you know, um, my father asked him, why? Are they all dead? You know, jokingly. And the doctor, you know, straight face told him, yes, they are yes. all dead. 
And I think that that made it pretty easy for my dad to decide that he was going to forge his own path in that moment. Um, and he went home and he started to educate himself about natural and holistic healing. Um, my father is seemingly healthy guy, but not really diet wise. Um, he'd never eaten a carrot in his life, honestly, <laughs> never, ever in his life. And, um, he subsisted on, you know, on junk food and fast food. He worked crazy, like 80 hour, hundred hour weeks. You know, he wasn't taking care of his body and, uh, you know, and growing up, he had been exposed to a lot of environmental toxins growing up on the streets in New Jersey. Um, you know, and I feel like there were a lot of reasons there that, that, that could have contributed to his disease. Um, but in that time, 1995, right, there was not a lot of information. There was not a lot of information about holistic health, natural eating, you know, um, you know, natural healing or, or, or anything like that, natural alternative, alternative medicines. He did a lot of research on his own. Um, he rejected chemo and radiation. He never did not even a single round of chemo and radiation. Um, but instead, he started to discover authors and go to speaking events. He would, you know, we would go to people's houses, like individually, he would go to individuals and talk to them and, and glean what they had learned from, from their own journeys. Um, there was one nice little lady who taught us, taught him how to use a juicer. Um, and there were authors that we would go and see, uh, like I mentioned, and um, I went with my father to all of these events. And he started taking supplements. He radically altered his diet to a far more healthful one. Um, so between the nutrition, the supplements, he started practicing mental fortitude techniques like visualization, meditation, hypnosis, you name it. He tried it. Um, and he also relied on his very deep and abiding faith um, in God, which I think, you know, you know, whether you're religious or not, I think it also played in, into the mental fortitude part. You know, it's setting that mindset. It, it's creating that mindset, creating that focus. It's setting yourself up to receive you know, that miracle or that healing or that, you know, that transformation within yourself um, to to take your body and to take your mind and to take your soul and take control of what is happening to you. And instead of being, a, you know, a, a reactive or, you know, having a victim mindset in that in that way, you know, becoming the champ, your own champion. Mm. Right. And that's part of what we talk, uh, what I talk about a lot in the book, too, is um, is 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 being your the boss of that team that you need to create a, around yourself that is positive, energetic and and healthful and helpful. Right. Um, you don't need a doctor who's telling you that you're going to die and that there are no options and, you know, and, and putting you down. You want to find someone who's maybe supportive of your 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 decisions and um your your journey and what you want to learn about your your health crisis and then bring in that nutritionist bring in that holistic health professional whatever it is that that you are suffering from you know my goal was to uh bring together useful information and uh reputable information in one place where um, people could pursue the and that kind of information that can, could 
pursue the information for making yourself more healthful and leading yourself on that that healing journey because I feel like the healing part is something that is really missing in a lot of um, healthcare today. All of that is to say, uh, Chuck, <laughs> as I go on my tangent, all of that is to say, Chuck, my father was given less than four months to live. He lived eight years with this deadly brain cancer. Eight incredible years. That is not to say that he was cured because I don't believe that there is a cure necessarily for this disease right now, though there are some clinical trials that have proven um, incredibly um, exciting right now, particularly out of Duke University with immuno, uh, immunotherapy vaccines. But something about what my father was doing for himself in this natural, holistic, mind, body, and soul approach that was slowing the progression of this disease, something about the healthful foods that he was intaking and everything else that he was doing for himself that was priming his immune system, that was giving his body every possible chance to win the fight against this, this horrendous disease. Um, so yeah, eight incredible years. And instead of the tumor recurring within weeks, as it normally does, um, it didn't recur for years at a time. So. Uh, the first time it was three years before it recurred, then he had an ama amazing surgeon, then it was another two and a half years, another two and a half years. Um, so something was slowing the progression of that disease. And that is what I take a look at um, in this book. So it's a little bit of a narrative. It's, it's me setting up my father's story. It's him in his own words. And then it's all of my research into the factors that I believe uh, led to his longevity. And, and Chuck, I, you know, you had shared with me that this disease, glioblastoma, has touched your life as well. That's a hundred percent true. You know, I, I hear your 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 dad. I mean, he just outkicked the coverage. I mean, given weeks, and he gets years. You know, uh, my grandfather was given a matter of months and only got a matter of weeks. The exact opposite outcome. Um, and so, I, I'm really grateful that you were able to have that time with him, uh, you know, it, and, and from the beginning, it sounds like he didn't really try to hide this from you. If he's taking you to all of these speaking events, like you must've been very well aware of what was going on. We were un un unfortunately because um, there were side effects from the initial surgery and from, you know, the fact that he did have this, this tumor, the initial tumor um, he had, uh, he suffered from frequent seizures as as a result. He 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 developed that, um, and so at home, us kids, um, he was home alone a lot with us kids. So from a very early age, we became our father's caretaker in a sense. When he would have these seizures, and you know, we were just we we knew what was happening, and I don't think that he really wanted to. He wanted to show us what it was that he was doing, right? He wanted to show us that the world is not just what people tell you, right? And I think he wanted to show by example who he was and what you could do with, you know, the power of nature, the power of God, the power of, of you know, of your mind. Um, and it was really important for him that he left something behind for his kids. 
And I remember that very distinctly. You know, he was constantly trying to pass on those lessons and 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 set that that example and he you know trying to be the best version of himself for us you know while fighting this terrible thing that you know must have been really 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 difficult for him you know as a young father not knowing if you're going to be there for your kids and as you mentioned like i i always knew this book existed but um after he did pass in 2003 he did eventually pass um, in, in 2003, after eight years of battling this disease. Um, and at the time of his passing, you know, we didn't really know what to do with that book. You know, it, I knew it existed. It was in a closet. It was something that my father had worked on day after day. And now he was also um, possibly dyslexic. And so reading and writing was also really, really difficult for him. And he was completely relentless. He never gave up. I saw him typing away day after day. Like I said, making phone calls, going to um, those uh, speaking events and, and whatnot and compiling everything that he learned and that he did for himself in this book. But he didn't get to finish it. Um, and then I went and I, you know, I was helping my family survive. And then I went away to college. I started my journalism career. And it wasn't until 15 years after his death, Chuck, that um, my father, that my mother rediscovered the book. And she found it uh, in a closet and gave it to me. And at that time, I was an award-winning uh, radio news producer. Uh, you and I won an Edward R. Murrow Award at uh, WNEW when we were working there. And she gave the book to me. And I, I just wanted to show you real quick what it was that she found. Of course. So it was this big, giant, leather-bound, trapper-keeper thing with water damage all over it because it had been in a shed for a number of years and survived a couple of hurricanes and some flooding. We grew up in Florida. Um, and inside were hundreds of pages of his original writing and um, pictures of his tumor. It says hope for the hopeless there. Hundreds of pages of just printouts of his research and his, you know, just telling stories about himself the supplements and the and the the the, the, um, the foods that he had taken and eaten, um, you know, it was all here, just hundreds of pages um, in this binder, and there was no digital copy, right? There was no digital copy. Mm. So when my when my mother gave it to me, um, I went to Kinkos, and I had the entire thing scanned into the computer. And my husband helped me um, transfer it into a editable document. And that's where it started. That's where I, I, I started um, editing what he had written. And so, you know, I then, as an adult, got to read what he had written for the very first time. And seeing it through his eyes and through his perspective, everything that he went through and all of the work that he put into it, it was just, it was, it was overwhelming. <laughs> I bet. It was definitely overwhelming and very emotional. No question. I mean, so much research and all of the emotions. And I, I mean, it's, it's just a, a heck of a project. I will tell you this though, you were talking about your father being such a, a, a strong personality and just so forward about what it is he was going to do. There wasn't really much of a question about what, 
what was going to happen here. He just did it. And he wanted to give you um, that example as his child. And I think it's clear that with you finishing this book that he did a marvelous job of passing down that type of ethic and those traits to you. And now that you're a mother, um, that I have no doubt that they're going to reach the next generation as well. I thank you on that. And that, that you know, that is, um, it, you know, part of it is honoring his memory. You know, I, I, I dedicated myself to, to finishing this book because there was so much in here that could help other people and that I knew could provide hope and inspiration for anyone that was going through a similar health, health crisis. And there's so much new information too since that time um, that, you know, I, I know that it's, it's always, like I said earlier, it's always been on my heart and it's always been on my mind. Um, I dedicated myself to, to completing his work and packing it with as much news you can use. Um, I created a cancer, a free cancer resource, which you can, um, access on our website, hopeforthehopelessbook.com, um, that has tons of recommended reading and helpful websites. Um, but, you know, and it wasn't just, you know, for him, but it was also a very cathartic thing for me to talk about, you know, not only what my father went through, but what I went through as the child of a sick parent and talking about, you know, the mental, the importance of mental health for not only the, that sick person, but their entire family and, and, you know, the, the team of people that's supporting them and how, um, you know, how vital that part of it is. Because I struggled, Chuck, <laughs> I struggled mightily, um, you know, growing up. And I'm so grateful that I had his, you know, his powerful example, but it was still a very traumatic and difficult thing to go through for the majority of your childhood. Mm. Um, so I do, I do touch on that as well. So, you know, whether it's you or the person going through a health crisis or a family member, or whether you would like, you know, just to read an inspirational story or learn how to be more healthful and help yourself prevent disease. I feel like there's something for everybody, you know, in this story and, and, and speaking of, um, uh, you know, preventing disease and, and tackling it nutritionally, um, I was so grateful to have you in my life, Chuck. Um, you know, I reached out to you in the process of reading, writing this book, and you provided me with the just incredible direction. And, um, and I feel like, you know, together we were able to bring that nutritional side, um, to folks uh, to bring them the, the information that they need and the nutritional side, uh, tackling, chronic disease or, or cancers, which the health, the exam room does just a, a phenomenal job of, um, of, of tackling on a regular basis. Um, I, I talk about Dr. Neil Barnard, who you have on all the time, Dr. Christy Funk. Um, and uh, I just wanted to thank you for, for, for that uh, too. So uh, Chuck Carroll did help uh, contribute to the nutritional part of this book for which I'm grateful. <laughs> I couldn't turn down that request. I mean, come on. One, you're my friend. And two, it's it's just such a powerful project. How could you not want to even be a small part of it? Um, it, it just, yeah, I was truly touched when you reached out. Um, so you are more than welcome and I would do it a million times over. Um, question for you though. Let's, let's shift the focus uh, 
to your dad's diet. So he wasn't eating the healthiest diet. He gets the diagnosis. Um, what kind of foods were kicked out of his diet? And, you know, I'm assuming he skewed more toward a plant forward, probably not an exclusively plant-based diet at that point. But how did you notice his diet really shift? The fast food was the first thing that get the boot, right? Um, and he tried very hard. He, he, he tried very hard to, to eliminate the, the junk foods, the fast foods, um, getting rid of the, the cookies, the candy, the, um, you know, th those sorts of things. And eating more um, homemade meals. And a lot of the way that he got um, that nutrition in because he he wasn't used to eating veggies and and fruits and you know all of those healthful things, um, he turned to juicing. Juicing became um, one of the tools that he used to get in as much of the nutrients um, that he felt that he needed. And um, like I said, he he um, he had a couple of books that helped guide him as far as um, which foods to use for which health goals. Um, he also had the assistance of a naturopathic oncologist, uh, Dr. Dante Ruscio out of New Jersey, um, who, who helped guide him as well. And he had my mother, who is a saint on earth, Chuck, um, who, who did all the juicing for him, right? Who helped mix um to who help mix and prepare and blend and um and juice and you know and helped him reach his goals in that way um because the the initial surgery left him weak and a little bit shaky and um with with some health challenges so that's you know and, and he talks about that in the book so just wanted to give um a shout out to my mother who i said is a saint on earth um but those are sort of the ways that um, that his diet transformed. So he was making these smoothies and, and juicing drinks uh, every day, and he had kicked out the the, the junk food and the fast food um, as much as he could in his in his own diet, right? Yeah. But no one's perfect, right, Chuck? You know, sometimes we he he would fall off the wagon a little bit and not feel well, and then hop back on. Yeah. And he started to notice. Um, a big difference between when he was, you know, not eating those things and when he was, and his body just didn't feel good anymore and it didn't help him anymore. So he didn't need it anymore. Right. And, and, you know, the funny thing is we, we see all of this research and it, it focuses on the benefits of adding things to your diet. Um, but I think that there's a, the benefit is just as large a lot of times by taking the stuff off of your plate. So it's like a gain by omission. Um, you know, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, even before I adopted an exclusively plant-based diet, just by taking fast food and fried food out of my diet, um, my health dramatically improved as well. And to this day, I still will not eat fast food or fried food or anything like that. Um, and it, it just, it, it has paid such huge, huge, huge dividends with all of the research that you are doing specific to nutrition and the power that a clean, healthy diet can have on, uh, preventing disease. Um, what surprised you the most? I think, uh, what surprised me the most was how important fiber is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, you know, I didn't really think, give it that much thought before. 
Um, it's like, yeah, it helps you go. Like what, you know, it, but it's not only that, you know, fiber, it, it plays a tremendous role in not only, um, you know, cleansing your body of, of toxins and, and getting those things out that we don't want in there, but it's balancing hormones. Um, it, it just plays such a vital role. And depending on what sorts of things that you take in that have fiber, they have additional nutrients, right? Those most fiberful, beneficial um, foods uh, like, you know, like your cruciferous vegetables or, you know, or things like flaxseed, they come with added bonuses. Like flaxseed meal, for example, is something that I try to get in my diet every single day. And it comes with um, uh, lignans, which are a powerful uh, cancer fighter. And they're packed with that and, and other nutrients that are oh, so rich and, and, and vital for maintaining health and fighting disease if, if that is you know something that your body is struggling with um so so things like that were uh, particularly about fiber is what surprised me the most um so uh you know and just just learning about um how uh, the more colorful the you know the more biodiverse the more you know good stuff um, it is for your body. So you want to get the, you know, like a colorful diet is, is, is beneficial as well. Um, and I, I've just learned so much by, uh, you know, watching, um, Dr. Neil Barnard and, and him talking about reversing, uh, diabetes, um, Dr. Christy Funk and her talking about, you know, breast cancer and reversing breast cancer and the role that hormones and balancing hormones play in, you know, in, in that kind of cancer in particular, um, so there's just so much to unpack. There's so much to know. And, you know, one thing that my father believed, Chuck, is that everything that we need to be healthy, everything that we need to heal is here on earth, is provided for us, is in nature. And I think that the more that we do research, um, the more that we find that that is true. And um, it, it's just wonderful to see that, um, that there is more of that now because back in the 90s and the early 2000s, um, doctors didn't necessarily want to work with nutritionists or uh, naturopathic professionals or, you know, weren't um, in support of having, you know, alternative or, or, or supplementary um, uh, medicine, you know what I mean, um, by bringing in those um, those methods of treatment uh, alongside the the, the traditional um, the, the, the traditional medicine, but now they work together a lot more, uh, a lot better. So complementary medicine—that's the word I'm trying to remember. <laughs> so uh, there's a lot more support for complementary medicine, and um, what I'd really love to see, uh, Chuck, is more like holistic primary care, so that we're not just treating you once you're sick but that we're educating people from day one on how to live a healthful life, how to address, you know, the things that are bothering them in, in a holistic way and not just, you know, throwing, throwing pharmaceuticals at things. And, you know, when the core and the root of what is causing uh, a lot of people's troubles, whether it's, you know, whether it's health, whether it's mental focus, it, it's what you're eating, it's your diet, it's what you're putting into your body every single day. Um, and a lot, you know, most mainstream doctors don't have the, the, the credit hours on 
this was something that we were talking about in the book, credit hours on nutrition. Um, so I just would love to, to see more nutritional education, more of that in like primary care um, so that we prevent disease and we help people live more healthful, happy lives um, rather than just wait for them to get sick. Amen to that. I could not have said that any better myself, any better. And I love the fact that you're here openly having that discussion because the concepts that you just mentioned, um, not necessarily with the audience who's watching right now or listening right now, but certainly uh, to the layperson, the general population, 99.9% .9 of them, um, it is still a foreign concept that you, nice. you know, what you put in your body uh, directly impacts your health. And uh, food can be medicine. It can be the very best medicine or it can really be the worst medicine. And it's a choice that you have to make. And it's one that you can only make once you have that type of education you were talking about. So you have a, a phenomenal head on your shoulders. Um, the book is absolutely fantastic. There's a link to it right now in the show description or in the episode notes, Hope for the Hopeless, just about as powerful of a read as there possibly ever could be. And it has been so good catching up with you. And I'm so proud of you for finishing this project. I know that it could not have been easy. And, you know, I, I just, the example that he set for you is abundantly clear and know that you are setting just as powerful of an example for your children as well. So thank you very much for being here today. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you for those words. And, uh, you know, I hope that uh, this story can bring hope, inspiration, information to anyone who's fighting uh, for their lives right now or a loved one. No one has the right to tell you to go home and die. You are your best self-advocate and um i wish you the best of luck god bless god speed and i love you thank you guys According to the best estimates that we have, the average person after being diagnosed with a glioblastoma will still only survive 14 to 16 months. And that's with modern medicine. And that means that most people diagnosed with it will still only see one more birthday, one more new year, one more holiday season, and experience the boom of fireworks on the 4th of July just one more time. It's just one more trip around the sun with the people they love. And so here is Jimmy, way back in 1995, finding another way. It really gives you something to think about. And it's just extraordinary that Jamie was so moved to make her father's book a reality all of these years later. Not to let all of his hard work and all of that research just fall by the wayside. And she's actually doing a virtual book signing for Hope for the Hopeless on January 27th at noon Eastern. If you would like to hang out with her and talk for a little while. January 27th at noon Eastern. That's over on Facebook. And we have a link to do that right now in the episode notes. Also there, you can find a link to purchase your copy of Hope for the Hopeless on Amazon, which, by the way, makes an extraordinary gift. Super uplifting. Super inspirational. Hope for the hopeless. You know, I'll tell you what gives me hope. 
It's that we have the power to prevent so many of these cancer cases. So many of them. You know, the World Health Organization estimates that 30 to as much as 50% of all cancer cases are, in fact, preventable. And on top of that, research from the American Cancer Society shows that between 42 and 45% of cancer deaths are preventable. And they're preventable by changing the way that we eat and changing the way that we live. Those are two things that virtually all of us have control over right now. We have control over them even when it seems like we don't. We do. So this research by the American Cancer Society also included a list of the biggest cancer-causing lifestyle factors. Two of the biggest that they list, eating red and processed meat and not eating enough fruits, vegetables, and fiber. Now, the Physicians Committee recommends eating 40 grams of fiber per day, and most of us don't get anything close to that something to keep in mind as you're planning out your meals. But there are some other big factors on the ACS risk list as well. You have smoking and being exposed to secondhand smoke. You also have being overweight, drinking alcohol, not getting enough exercise, and getting too much sun. Again, all things that we have control over. And there's a link right now to all of our other cancer resources in the episode notes as well. The bottom line here is that all of the data from health organizations, not just the plant forward ones, all of the data suggests that we can do better. So let's do that. Let's save some lives, make the world a healthier place. We really have nothing to lose. Let's just do it. So how do you make the world a healthier place? Well, I wanted to pass along something that I saw in the news this week. It's a headline from the Associated Press. The headline reads, My plate? Few Americans know or heed U.S. nutrition guide. Do you even know what my plate is? Well, if you do, you are among just the one in four adults in the U.S. who do. And what MyPlate is, in case you are not familiar, is the guide that was put together by the government to replace the food pyramid in 2011. Coincidentally, their guide, MyPlate, looks eerily similar to the power plate, which we had created here at the Physicians Committee sometime earlier than that. But that is another story for another day. So this article is talking about a study about MyPlate and how many people know about it, stressing that just one in four do. But that's not all. Even among those one in four, just a handful actually have used it for any sort of guidance. Less than 10% of people, in fact. So this article points out that the information is definitely falling on deaf ears, despite the fact that obesity and diabetes and heart disease continue to be major problems. But here is an important takeaway from the article. The author writes, quote, 
The new study found that people who rated their diet as excellent, very good, or good were far more likely to have heard of MyPlate than those who said their diet was fair or poor. So the more you know, the better off you're gonna be. Now, MyPlate is made up of four colorful sections constituting the various food groups. So you have one for fruits, one for vegetables, grains, and protein, plus a little side section for dairy. Now, our power plate at the Physicians Committee is also made up of colorful sections, but its contents are a little bit different. So we still have the four quadrants on the plate. We have one for fruit and one for vegetables and one for grains, just like my plate, but there's no meat here. Instead, our fourth quadrant goes to legumes. And there's no spot on here whatsoever for dairy. And each one of the colors on our plate represents the diseases that they can help to prevent, the diseases that those types of foods can help to prevent. The same diseases, by the way, that were mentioned in the study and in the article. Obesity, diabetes, heart disease, and cancer. And this powerful way of eating has been scientifically shown to effectively help lower the risk of disease time and time and time again. And in case you were wondering about protein, you will still get plenty of it without meat or dairy. I promise you that you will get it through an abundance of grains and vegetables, fruits, legumes, you just don't need the middleman here. You are getting protein straight from the source and not secondhand like you would through milk or a steak. Coming up on Wednesday, Dr. Neil Barnard will be back for the exam room live. He's going to be joining me at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on YouTube and Facebook. So join us then to ask your questions live on the show or right back here on the podcast on Thursday. You can catch the replay here. You can also send me your questions ahead of time, anytime on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. I am at Chuck Carroll, WLC. And don't forget, if you enjoyed today's show, you're feeling inspired, you feel like you've raised your health IQ by a point or two, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your shows, leave a five-star rating and a nice review. It really does help us get this information to as big of an audience as possible, because if we've learned anything here from that article, it's that we still have a lot of work to do. A lot of people need our help. So I want to thank you for that five-star rating in advance. But for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to my friend Jamie Blanco for being here and sharing this uplifting story with us and giving hope for the hopeless. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.